welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. I don't know if you've heard this analogy or allegory before. I, I've heard, I hear it all the time. It, it's, it's quite popular. It has been for quite a while. It's this, this imagery of, of God being at the top of a mountain. And that there's, just, there's different paths up that mountain to get to God. It's uh, usually used to kind of depict how, uh, like, kind of a, 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 a form of, like, religious pluralism in which essentially all religions, but now it's not even religions anymore because people, like, are rejecting organized religion, but it's all religions and, and faith practices and, and spiritualities. Um, they're, they're just different paths up the mountain to find God. Different ways to seek him. And I, and I get why people say this. And in certain frameworks, it makes sense. It, 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 I, I do understand it. But there's, there's a problem is that, that it is based off of some core assumptions that in many ways fly in the face of the Christian understanding of religious pursuit and finding God. Aspects of this foundational understanding, I think, are found within some of the core aspects of the concept of conversion. And so over the past month or so, as we've been walking through Acts, we've we've been following after a number of different conversion stories within Acts. And now we come upon Cornelius, which is the kind of last of this cluster of conversion stories before a shift in the narrative and begin following the mission primarily of Paul to the Gentiles. And it's interesting, even just looking at these these handful of initial accounts that we walked through, you see first that no two counts are the same. It should be a warning uh, to to build expectation and a theology of what conversion should look like based upon one example within Scripture. Because the order, like they're they're all very different. But also, I think that we see very poignantly in 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 Cornelius and his household uh, a, a picture that does capture some major themes that are shared by all the other accounts. I'm not going to go through all of the different themes that are shared, but I want to focus today on two, just two of these themes. Two that I think speak to this idea of our search for God. The first theme is the idea that conversion is always initiated by God who searches for us. 
If you go back to the beginning of 10 that we had read a couple of Sundays ago, we find Cornelius praying and then he, he, he gets visited by an angel telling him to send for Peter. Cornelius recounts this experience to Peter in, in 1030 through 33 that we just read. But what we have is we have God confronting and coming to Peter, or uh, to Cornelius through an angel. In the other accounts, we have, we have Paul going and doing his thing, and then he's confronted, stopped by the Lord appearing to him and knocking him onto the ground. We had the Ethiopian eunuch, in which God miraculously orchestrated all of the events and went directly to Philip to send Philip to encounter the eunuch on his journey. The thing is, is even in those accounts, those are, are, are an account of what happened to le- leading to this apex of encounter with God. But, but we, we know that, that God had been working and orchestrating and, and coming to and pursuing all of them long before that had happened. I mean, we know this because Jesus said very clearly, says, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. There's two important things in here. Unless drawn by God. And how does he draw? He sends. He sent Christ into the world, coming into our midst to reveal the Father to us, but then also to redeem and rescue us by sending him to the cross. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. Well, the Father sent the Holy Spirit, or Father and Son. It depends on which side, east or west, on the, the, uh, the uh, early Middle Ages debate that, uh, that split the church. But don't really want to get into that right now. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit was sent. To pursue us, to reveal God to us, and to draw us to himself. And this is an important distinction. It's very unique and distinct to Christianity, and it's important for us to understand. Because this distinction is a distinction that says that Christianity is not a path for those seeking God to find him. No. The claim is that it's good news that our God is a God who seeks us. So to return to that analogy or allegory of God on top of the mountain, one of the problems with the analogy is it assumes a very modern Western deistic view of God. That he's this entity or deity that is far off. Waiting for us to approach him and find him. Waiting for us to come to him. I think a far better analogy or allegory is found in the great poem of Francis Thompson. It was written in 1890. Francis Thompson was, what is it, was a British chap. 
He went to school to study to be a writer. He, he came under um, some medical issues. And because of how they treated those medical issues, he found himself addicted to opium. It's a familiar story we know today. And it sent him on a spiral of destruction. Pursuing pleasure pursuing uh, whatever he, he could find, eventually leaving him in, in utter ruins and devastation. And yet, whenever he was in kind of the darkest pit of despair, um, that's where he met God. And he wrote this poem as a form of autobiography. And he called the poem, The Hound of Heaven. Because he understood that, that that whole time God was chasing him, following him, wearing him out. Like a hound that's on the scent. Here are the opening lines of Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. See, the center of our faith, the gospel, is not good advice on finding the right path to get to God. It's the good news that God comes and finds us even when we're not looking. He pursues us like a hound, nipping at our heels, pulling at our legs, wearing us out until we can encounter him. So that's, I think, the first important point is that Conversion is always initiated by a God who searches for us. And secondly, conversion is actually a radical transformation of what we are ultimately seeking. Oftentimes when we talk about this idea of conversion, most people have something come to mind like a changing of religions. Sometimes it might entail that, but as we saw a few Sundays back, that, that for, for Paul, he would have never saw it that way for himself. He never ceased to be a Jew. He wasn't changing religions. Or often, it's some form of moral reform. I used to live like this, and now I live like this. Or adopting traditional values, or becoming religiously devout. All of a sudden now I pray all the time, read my Bible all the time, and go to worship services all the time. What's interesting to me is that God in his sovereignty, through, through the inspiration of Luke, almost all the early conversion stories that were included in Acts were almost all very moral very devout people. 
I mean, the eunuch was at great cost and expense doing a long journey to go up to Jerusalem to worship. And then you find him that during passing that time, what's he doing? He's reading scripture. I don't even need to speak of St. Paul. He says over and over again, how devout, how upright. He said about himself before encountering Christ, according to the law, perfect. And this is true of Cornelius. The beginning of this account says that, Luke writes that, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. I mean, in some ways, you would expect that whenever the angel came to Cornelius, that the angel would have said, Cornelius, you're on the right path, man. Like, keep up the good work. Or at least maybe like, Cornelius, love what you're doing. Here's a couple of things that you could improve on. Or maybe even, maybe even like, Cornelius, you have found the right path. And because of that, I, I'm going to give you Jesus to help you along. But instead, he says that he must send for Peter. Why? We find out. So that Peter will come and preach the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins to Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout, God-fearing man who needed converted. It seems odd But it's only odd because often what we call conversion, as it's found in Scripture, is very different than how we commonly understand it and depict it. In Matthew, Jesus says, unless you be converted or changed and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom. The the Greek word that we translate convert literally means to turn around. To change our direction or pursuit. And one thing that is important to note, that to convert or turn around means that you are changing what you're being driven towards and what you're pursuing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it changes the way or manner in which you're walking. I mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes, like, you're walking like this and then you're walking like this. Like, sometimes it changes the way we're walking, but it doesn't necessarily mean changing how you're walking. It's what you are walking towards. What you are pursuing. Jesus in, in, in um, John's Gospel, the famous passage that many people know in John 3, says something very similar to Nicodemus, another man, a respected Pharisee, a good, moral, upright, devout man. Jesus says to him, you cannot see the kingdom unless born again or born above. Then goes on to say, unless one is born of water and spirit. They cannot enter the kingdom. 
Throughout the New Testament, we continue to see that the religious and irreligious, the moral and immoral alike, need conversion. Turned completely around. Made new. And none of this is by our efforts, but God's pursuit through the Holy Spirit. Cornelius was moral. Cornelius was said to be generous. Cornelius was said to be successful, devout. He was respected by many. And yet he needed converted. Why? Because our ultimate issue is not what we are doing, but what we are seeking. Scripture says that at the heart of the fall, what is, what, is, what is ultimately wrong with humanity is that we want to be our own gods. And this fallen, this foundational fallen pursuit of a status of being like God can express itself in many different ways. It can be expressed in very moral and pietistic ways, and it can be expressed in very licentious and immoral ways. It can be expressed through the rejection of religion, and it can be expressed through deep devotion to religion. And sometimes we may be seeking a God, But the God we seek is a God that will serve our ultimate pursuits and desires. In essence, a God that will allow us to still be the largest, the greatest. And we are just very piously devoted to that God that will provide what we have wanted and desired. Oftentimes, we think of conversion may see it this way. In this story, the one who was ruining everything, pursuing power. The problem is, is you can also become super moral and devout and use religion as a way to gain power. You can use devotion and piety to gain that notoriety to have a sense of superiority, to to acquire wealth. See, the problem is, is that all of those things, though there are external transformations in how we walk, it's actually completely opposite of the idea of conversion. Because oftentimes what happens is that in our piety and moral pursuits and and religious fervor, it can be simply a new way of walking in the same direction. Still pursuing the same ultimate desire. That which we extol and lift up. See, that's the other problem I I find with the amount analogy is that it assumes religious devotion or spiritual pursuits equate necessarily to seeking God as God. 
That even encountering God and knowing God is, is actually the goal. And sadly, it's often not. Paul, quoting the Psalms to the church in Rome, says, There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who is understanding. There is no one who sees God. These are really hard words to hear. Actually, hard words for me to preach because it, it kind of sounds bigoted and it sounds like judging the devo- devotion and piety of others or judging other religions. But I, I, I will say that, that it, it's not... It's not judging people of other religions. It's judging all of us. It reminds me of, I love George Carlin in one of his bits. He has this one line where he says, I am not prejudiced because I hate everybody equally. You know, so at least it you know, just kind of mellows, mellows it out. But here's the thing. Is we can't know Cornelius' heart or what he was seeking before his conversion. And it's not for us to know that. But it's interesting how when Peter shows up to give him whatever he was hoping to find, it says that Cornelius first fell on his face and worshipped Peter. But then as Peter was proclaiming the gospel, before he even got to finish his sermon, before Cornelius and the others in the household could respond, even give assent that they agree or believe, It said that the Spirit of God comes upon them. And it says that they began speaking in tongues and extolling God. I'm not going to address the tongues thing today. Um, That would just be another sermon. But it says that they were extolling God. The Greek word for extolling is megaluno. You can see in that word the word that we use often, mega. It's sometimes translated to extol or to praise, but it literally means to make large. To make grand. To worship something and make something the ultimate, the greatest. You see, in that moment, they were changed but probably not radically changed in practice and how they're walking. I mean, honestly, like I think after this conversion, I I would hope that Cornelius continued to pray regularly, continued to give alms to the poor, continued to have high regard among the people. But when the hound of heaven finally got hold of them, the one who had been seeking them came upon them. then all of a sudden, God became God to them. The greatest and ultimate pursuit. And it's similar to Paul's, after Paul's conversion, where he talks about all of his pursuits, all of his accomplishments, all of these things, that many of them were very, very good things in, 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 in what he, he had accomplished and done in his study and his piety and morality and everything else, that everything that he had pursued after encountering Christ, he said, I count them as nothing compared to knowing Christ. 
Paul began to megaluno Christ. And so what I'm saying, in some ways, as I was like kind of preparing this and thinking through this, it might seem harsh. It is kind of harsh to say, no one is seeking God. But I find this actually is a word of comfort. For it doesn't say no one is seeking God, but instead no one is seeking God unless, as Jesus claimed, the Father draws them. And he does not sit on a mountain and draw us from afar, but has come down after us, seeking us and pursuing us as the hound of heaven. No one seeks God, and yet many are seeking him. Because God is a God that is actively pursuing us. I think this is a word of hope for those family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, whoever it might be, who are indifferent or even antagonistic toward God. For our God does not sit on a mountaintop waiting for those who seek him, but is a God who relentlessly pursues those who are not seeking him. This is a word of comfort for those who were wrestling, seeking, doubting, wanting to know God, regardless of the path that they're on at the moment. I mean, we see some of that, that praying in pursuit in, in Cornelius, and, and, and he wasn't a Jew. It's a word of comfort for them, for the fact that they are doing so is clear evidence that the hound is tight on their heels. Nipping, pulling, drawing, wearing them out. And this is a word of encouragement for those whom God has already gotten hold of. If you notice, in God's pursuit of Cornelius, he sent an angel. He sent the Holy Spirit. And who knows all that God had been doing in Cornelius leading up to this point. But he also sent Peter. With the simple task of preaching the gospel. One whom, apart from God's pursuit of Peter, Peter would have never imagined would ever come to God. This is a theme he does over and over again. Same happened with conversion of Paul, with the eunuch. One who Cornelius was a Gentile. He was Roman. Not only was he a Gentile Roman, he was a military leader. Whoops. That's awkward. Um, He was a military leader, but not only a Roman military leader, a military leader of a unit that was occupying the, the Jewish homeland. And yet, like Peter... Peter didn't even get to seal the deal. God interrupted him before he finished his sermon. (laughs) And you and I are given the simple task of proclaiming the gospel to everyone. Because even if it doesn't look like it, you know the hound is on their heels. See, for me, the real danger of the mountain analogy 
is that it could turn out quite disastrous. Because as we have our different paths, striving and, 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 and working and pursuing to get to the top of the mountain, what would happen is that we would find that God isn't there. Because he's down at the base. He's in the valleys. He's in the deep pits. He is hounding and pursuing and going after all who gave up on climbing the mountain or never began in the first place. So that they can say the words Francis Thompson penned toward the end of his poem. Shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest. I am he whom, the, whom thou seekest. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue.